So you're fans of Franklin, huh? No. Let me just say this. Uh, there's several of these events already going on. We've already, uh, my wife and I have already heard about the one in Wilmington and uh, some family members of ours have attended. They said it's an excellent uh, place to go, especially when uh, the direction is to praying for our nation. But second of all, if you know someone in your community or know someone in your family who may not know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, uh, just like Billy Graham, it's going to be a very simplistic evangelistic message associated with this. So I want to invite you to to look at these dates, of course, we have several in our area on October 10th in Hickory, October 12th in Charlotte, and then October 13th in Asheville. And all that's coming up this week. We did have some promo material back there on the desk, but I think it's all being taken. Uh, but you can go to decisionamerica.com to find out more information about these events. So I want to encourage you to uh, get out and go to these events. Again, it's a great time to pray for our nation, but also to hear the gospel in the clearest, concise way uh, uh, that I believe you can hear is through a gram, right? Uh, but anyway, so I hope you'll take advantage of that. Well, now we're in the third part of our series of uh, uh, Game Changer, and today we're looking at the whole idea of truth or consequences. Now, how many of you, now this game show goes way back. How many of you remember the, the game show, Truth or Consequences? Raise your hand. Okay, all right. There's several of you that are here. Uh, it was definitely a game show. It originally started on the radio, NBC radio. Ralph Edwards in the 1940s uh, held this uh, game show on radio. And of course, they would describe what was going on in this studio. A live audience was there. And then later, it went to television in the 1950s. Bob Barker actually hosted it for almost 20 years before he hosted The Price is Right. On the show, the people had to answer some form of a question. Usually it was such an off-the-wall question that no one would actually be able to answer it correctly. So if the contestant could not complete the truth portion, there would be consequences. And usually there was a zany or embarrassing stunt or prank that was played on them. And so we see that uh, when it comes to truth, there can be consequences, right? Well, today, as we continue this series, Game Changer, I want to tell you uh, basically the whole definition of Game Changer in the context of a person's life. A Game Changer is a person that makes a decision that dramatically changes the course of their life. I guarantee you, every one of us in this room have made a decision that has done that. Whether it's a decision to go to college, to get married, to not get married, to have a child, to make a decision to follow Jesus, which we know is the ultimate game changer when it comes to those who are believers. And the reason it's the ultimate game changer is because if it's not a part of following Christ, there can be consequences, eternal consequences associated with it. So what are the consequences of not knowing truth or not responding to truth? Well, before we go any further, we have to answer the question, what is truth? Now, I, I believe personally 30 years ago, we probably wouldn't have to even ask the question, what is truth? But how many of you agree that we live in a different day? We live in a day where truth is out there and it's open to everyone's interpretation, just like it's always been. But the fact remains is there was a time in our nation where most of the people, majority of our people, believe truth to be truth and they believe it comes from God. So the definition of truth basically is a system of beliefs, namely moral truth or spiritual truth. But the key to understanding truth, and this is key, is to understand where it originates. Where does truth come from? 
How does it come to invade our lives? What, what, what type of things happen when we embrace truth? Well, it leads us to this idea that there's really two models of truth. Look on your outline. The first model is something called relative truth. You've heard it. You've heard it from me. I've talked about it a lot. It places the individual in control of moral matters. Because the standard is within the individual, within the individual, it is, it is particular, particular to that person and circumstance. So basically the person themselves, each person has the ability to discern their own truth. In other words, each person considers himself or herself the judge of what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is not. So that's one form of truth. Secondly, there's something called absolute truth. It acknowledges that God is the source of all things and that he rules over all. He is the judge of what is true and what is right and what is wrong. He also, he also determines the consequences of those that do not meet the standards of his truth. So basically what we're saying is that God is the judge of what is true and what is right and what is wrong. Now, let me just say that this is not on your outline, but it's important to get your mind around this. Absolute truth has three components to it. Number one, it is objective. It is a standard existing independent of an individual's thought or opinion or feeling. Doesn't matter what we feel. Doesn't matter what our opinion is about it. It is something that rises above that. Okay. Second of all, absolute truth is, is universal. Is it a standard which applies to all people everywhere? Meaning it has the authority over all other truth. Now think about that. That's a, that's a big statement. Thirdly, it is a constant. It is a standard which will not change with time, no matter what the culture says, no matter how the culture moves. It stands still. And you see, we're living in a, in a society that is contesting every bit of this. And, and we, but we need to understand where it comes from. So for us to fully understand truth, we need to understand where does it originate from? Does it originate from the individual or does it originate from God, the authority? So people who choose to believe in a model of relevant truth, when you really think about it, are playing games with serious consequences. When you really think about it, absolute truth acknowledges that God is a source of all things and that he rules over all. He also determines the consequences of those who do not meet the standards of his truth. So therefore, if we believe that God is the essence of truth, then what he says is not, is not only a standard for living, it also means what he says will also happen. And by the way, he speaks to these things in his word. Now, how do we know what God says? Well, we understand it through his re revelation, right? He, what, what is his revelation? We believe it's God's word. We as Christians, what we are basically saying is that God's word is the standard. It is absolute truth. There's many people who disagree with us. There may be some of you in this room who possibly disagree with that. But it is a fact that we hold as Christians, and it's not only something that's absolute, it's something that we build our lives upon. It's something that also tells us what we can look to in the future. So I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Now the passage we're getting ready, that you're turning to, we're going to find is probably the most horrifying scene in all the Bible. 
I preached on this same message several years back. And, and, and some people uh, emailed me and told me how much they appreciated me sharing this truth. Now, this truth that we're talking about today is not easy to share. It's easy in the fact that it is of God. I'm not up here creating anything that's not already there in the Bible. But the second part of it is in this culture in which we live, what I'm about to share with you is not received by most people. Most people. We're living in a society now that does not receive what I'm about to say. So let me set this up for you. To understand what's getting ready to happen in Revelation chapter 20, you must understand the basic four major periods of history, biblical history. We have the Old Testament. That's pretty easy to understand. We have the New Testament. That's the period in which we live. It's called the church age. Then there is something that comes down the road that the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel introduces us to it that's going to happen in the future. It's called the seven-year tribulation period. Many of you have heard it. Well, many people don't realize that after that seven-year tribulation period, there is a period of time in which Christ will reign here on the earth for a thousand years. A lot of people don't realize that. But it's fascinating when you start trying to understand what's going on with the Bible and what actually is going to unfold. After that 1,000-year millennial reign, is what it's called, we will come to a point where history, or what we'd say time, is about to end, and it's just before we're to go into what we call eternity. There is something that's going to happen. The horrifying scene that I just shared with you is what we're going to look at now. The Bible states this. It is appointed to man or to a person once to die, then the judgment. Basically, then the consequences. There's something out there. There's something that one day will face some type of judgment. Now, the Bible says it this way. It basically says there are two resurrections for two judgments. I mean, literally, when you go and study the book of Revelation, there's going to be two resurrections to appear at two different judgments. You, under, you with me so far? Let's look at the first one. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. It writes, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Those who are called up together. Over such, the second death has no power. And we'll talk about what the second death is in just a moment. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. This is what we call basically the first judgment and it's for believers. If you want to understand what we think is happening when it comes to that first judgment, you can find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. And it's basically that idea in which when, they sh when we show up for our judgment as believers, we will be judged by our works. Will, will, will certain works be burned up or will we receive silver, gold, and precious metals, so to speak? Okay, it's based on rewards. Okay, that's the first judgment. There's a second judgment that comes. It's called the great white throne judgment. It is basically a judgment for those who do not believe. And we read about it in chapter 20, <clears throat> uh, verse 14. I'll give you the, what basically the whole idea of it is. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of, fire, lake of fire. This is the second death. Now, again, let me point something out to you. What we're talking about here are two different judgments with one of the judgments really being what I would call the most horrifying scene in Scripture. 
A lot of times you don't hear this language in pulpits across America today. Many people want to kind of go with the whole idea that Jesus is love and he's grace and he's mercy and he's all about forgiveness. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that, is that what Jesus is? Absolutely. But there's another part to who he is. And the, the, the other part of who he is is that he's holy and that he is just. And there's certain things that he cannot tolerate. But he makes a provision for those things he can't tolerate. And it comes in the fact of through his son, Jesus Christ. So let's look at all this. Everything I'm about to say to you, you can't escape by turning your life over to Jesus Christ. That is the truth of scripture. But what happens to the person who does not? What does their future look like? We'll look on your outline. The first thing we see about this judgment is the setting described. And the first thing we notice, it is an awful place, an awful place at least from the perspective of those who, do not, who did not receive his truth. So if you look at verse 11 of chapter 20, John the Revelator, you understand he's having these visions. He's writing them down for us. He's looking at something that will happen in the future. It says, then I saw a great white throne. Now think about this. An awful, a terrifying place. The word great there literally talks about the power of the throne. There's power. Nothing can match the power of this throne. Nothing can come against it. It is determined by absolute God who has absolute truth, who will reveal absolute consequences. This is the greatness of this throne. Next, we see white. It's the idea of the purity of the throne. Great purity is there. As a matter of fact, it is the purity that brings about the consequences the purity brings about the consequences. And then we have the word throne itself. It's the purpose of this event, the purpose. Now, let me tell you about the purpose. I'm gonna skip ahead and let you know what's coming. What it is, is literally the judgment, the judgment, the sentencing of those who've never received Christ as their Lord and Savior. It is a sentencing trial. Okay, it's not one of those cases where, where someone can come and attempt to defend. There's no defense when it comes to this, this throne, this judgment. Second of all, we see an awesome person. Look at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. Have you ever wondered who this person is? Who is this judge? Who is sitting on this throne? It, many people see, think that God the Father sits on the throne of judgment, but that's not what we read in scripture. In John chapter five, verse 22, it tells us, for not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to who? His son. His son is the one sitting on this throne. Who is his son? Who do we know? It's Jesus himself is sitting on this throne. So, so who is his son? Of course, we says it's Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter two kind of gives us a glimpse into what could happen during this time. It says, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, what? That Jesus is Lord. There's gonna come a time when, when everyone is going to come to the same conclusion that we've come to as believers in Christ. It doesn't matter how, when you put it out there, those who, who hated God, those who, spent, who basically persecuted God himself through persecuting his people, those who did all these terrible things, even they 
will kneel and acknowledge him as Lord. When you think about that, is that not amazing to think about? That there will be an admission of this? Next, we see an awkward position. Have you ever been in an awkward position before? You ever um, just found yourself, you just felt like, man, I really don't want to be here right now. You know, why did, why did I just sign up for this or whatever? Look at verse 11 again. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose, whose, whose face the earth and the heavens fled away and there was, no, was found no place for them. Do you, do you hear the, the idea of, of awkwardness here? They, they didn't fit. Listen, here's the picture. They didn't fit what was in front of them. The purity of the throne, the power of the throne. Nothing could protect them. It was all removed. It was one-on-one, them sitting before God. Think about that. How about this? It's the idea that there was no place to hide. Do you remember Adam after he sinned? What's the first thing he did? He hid himself. God comes calling in, in the garden. You remember the thing, Genesis chapter three, he comes calling in the garden just like he did every day. Adam, where are you? Well, I'm over here hiding right now. <laughs> he couldn't hide from God, could he? Neither will these be able to hide from God. The Bible says heaven and earth has fled away. That's the setting described. Next, we see the summons delivered. The word summons there is really a call by an authority to appear before a court. That's the idea. And that's exactly the scene that we're seeing here. So first of all, we see the persons that are called. Look at verse 12. It says, for I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Now, when you see the idea of small and great, it, it really is a contrast that, could, that really includes everyone. Everyone, those who think highly of themselves, those who don't think so highly of themselves, <laughs> those who are great, those who are small in, in, in influence and in power, here, why they served here on, or why they were here on earth, whatever it may be, all will be there who are supposed to be there. But there's four categories of people that I want to talk about this morning that will definitely be there. How about this? The God haters. You think the God haters will be there? Those who, are, who live in open defiance of who God is, what his word shows us, uh, who Jesus is, all that, the God haters. They hate God. They hate his word. They hate his church, but they love evil. The second group of people will be the self-righteous. The self-righteous. This person believes they're too good to be judged. I can't tell you how many times I've, been, I've witnessed to people and, and basically the bottom line, here's what they're trying to say. I feel like I'm as good as the next person. I feel like I'm as good as anybody who attends church. And for some of those people, that may be a correct call. Maybe they live a moral life. Maybe, maybe they're out there and they, they don't cause trouble. They've never been in trouble with the law. They, they, they've lived a, what they would consider a uplifting, uprighteous life. But let me say this, it's not about that. The Bible says, for all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. That includes every one of you in this room and every person outside this room. And so therefore, if that's the case, if that is where we are, something must be done for us, right? That's the implication. 
And the fact is, those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, you've accepted that provision, the provision of Jesus Christ. But there are some people who are out there who continue to hold on to the fact that they are good enough. Someone has said this, there is no one so bad that they cannot be saved, nor so, so good that they need not to be saved. We're all in need of a savior. The third person or that could be there, a group of people, are the procrastinator. They will be summoned. They know they are sinners. They are ashamed of their sin. They are sorry for their sin. They know they need to be saved. They know even that they need Christ, but they just keep putting it off, their decision to follow Christ. When the Bible says to them, today is the day for salvation, they don't listen. They constantly say, tomorrow, I'm going to do it. Maybe the next day, I'll come back later. Let me do a little bit of living on my terms, and then I'll come. I've kind of heard that before of you. Until one day, they put it off over and over again, and then all of a sudden, they're standing at this throne. The fourth group are the religious. This is the group we don't like to talk about, do we? Because some of us may fall into this category. Some of us may have a displaced trust. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said this. Listen, these are the words of Jesus, okay? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Think about that. You mean to tell me those who they think they're with God, they think they're doing things for God. They think they're out there. To, there's a possibility that those people may stand at this judgment. Absolutely. Think about what Jesus did when he walked the face of the earth. He, he went straight for the jugular of the religious, didn't he? He had the harshest words to say to who? The religious those who were out there, those who were depending on their own righteousness, those who, when they heard, uh, for all have sinned, it's turned their nose up to it and basically said, I'm good enough. God is pleased with me. The religious, they're trusting in church membership, church attendance. Do you realize these are the hardest people to reach? And, and I hate to tell you this, but that may be some of us in the room. That we're trusting in something other than what God has provided in Jesus Christ. Next, the place and power from which they are called. Look at verse 13. It says, the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. That literally means everyone who needed to be included in this, in this trial, in this sentencing will be there. No one's gonna be left out that shouldn't be there. Okay, And so everybody's coming together. Some commentators basically say it appears that death has the body and a place called Hades has the soul. Both will come together to be judged at this judgment. It's basically a person who is summoned. It's the idea they cannot escape. They will be there. Think about that. Next, we see the secrets displayed. Do you realize that um, according to God's word, we're getting ready to read it, that God's keeping books on us? How many of you are like, hmm, didn't know that? Let me tell you another something. Even scientists agree with this. Did you know that every word we've ever spoken continues to exist? Did you know that? These words that I'm saying right now will continue to echo 
throughout. That blows my mind. Does it not yours? Every word is still out there. And if we had a way to, to capture it, we could capture it and bring it back. Now, some of you say we do capture it. We have recording systems and we could run this back. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. But really, it still it reverberates out. Think about that. Things we said, they're right there. So the first thing we see, look on your outline, are secrets recorded. Face it, most of us don't want our secrets outed. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. When it says secret thing there, it's talking about the idea of motive. Why did you do what you did? Did you do it for attention? Did you do it that others can look at you more highly and more esteemed? Why did you do what you did? All that's judged. Here's another one, Romans 2, 16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets, the thoughts of men. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account on the day of judgment. Everything. God has recorded those things done in darkness, the secrets of the human heart, those things you've done in deed, word, or thought. And by, by the way, let me just say this. When it comes to the judgment I'm talking about, that will be the evidence against you if you appear before this throne. Next, we see secrets revealed. If you look at verse 12, he, he, he goes on and, and he basically says, the, the small and the dead are great and there, and books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. The, some people call it the Lamb's book of life. And the dead were judged according to what? The works by the things which were written in the books. Now think about that. That's a big deal. That is the evidence that will be held against those who've never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The Bible says in Luke chapter 12, verse 2, there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. How many of you think of these things and you're like, wow, I didn't know. He's keeping everything? He says everything, right? Everything. Next, we see the sentence determined. What happens? What's going to be done with all this? The Bible says in verse 13, that latter part, and they were judged each one, here it is again, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So, so how will this sentence be determined? Think about it. According to the works. According to the works. The first thing I want you to see is the sureness of just judgment. And we talked about it before, but no one is going to be able to bribe the judge. There's no corruption in what's going to go down here. There's no one paying off someone to get a special attention or, or, or get out of something like the system which we possibly live in. None of that's going to, that, that will happen. No one's going to escape what's coming to them. Next, the severity of this judgment. Again, it says they were judged according to the worst. Now, what does this mean? It means a judgment, look on your outline, with no mercy, no grace, no forgiveness. Some of you are sitting here today and I know your thoughts. I thought God was a God of love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness. How many of you know that he is? 
He is. But if you want love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness, you must receive it now according to the word. When you leave this world, it's too late. I'm not making this up. This is what we find in scripture. Jesus even said it himself. It's all right there. The same one who came and gave his life for us says, hey, if you don't receive what I'm offering, if you don't receive this truth, there will be consequences. It's very clear. Hebrews 10, 31. I want you to listen to this. This, this is the part that most people don't talk about in scripture. It says, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands or the judgment of a living God. I mean, think about that. And, and how do we present God all the time? He's love, he's this, he's that, but he's also just. He's also holy. He's also pure. And he can't stay, his presence can't be in those things. So here's the conclusion. There's three parts, if you really think about it, to a trial. One by one, standing face to face with Jesus. That's the scene that we see here. The evidence will be presented. The books are open, every deed, thought, and word. Think about it. Evidence will be there. The evidence of our lives. Then we see the defense defending. In, in your defense, what could you say at this judgment? Well, some people may say, God, I thought I was good enough. But you, let me, I want you to think about this. If God said his son to make the way, to make a way to get out of this judgment, I'm going to send my son. He's going to die a terrible death. He's going to be the way out where you don't have to do that. And you're standing there telling me that you thought that wasn't good enough? Think about that. Think, think about that rationale. There was a reason why he came. But think about it, your defense. What are you going to say? One by one, the excuses will fall. And the Bible says in Philippians chapter two, that as they fall, the Bible says at that moment, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. Everyone's gonna come to the admission of their guilt before a holy God. Everyone. Think of the worst criminal. Think of the worst person ever lived. They will fall based on the authority of scripture and say, Jesus is Lord. Think about it. And then we see the verdict given. You see, there's a lot of new theology out there. And by the way, you need to be careful with what they call new theology that's out there. You know what I'm saying? Some people do it to sell books. And you gotta be careful with that because there's some people who believe that at the great white throne judgment, now listen, it's nowhere in scripture, but here's what they say, that everyone has a second chance to go to heaven and everyone will eventually be there. That's not what God's word says. That's not what it says. It says basically in their guilt of sin, they will kneel. Still their sin must be dealt with. How will it be dealt with? Well, because they didn't choose Christ, they will fall into eternal condemnation. That's how it would be dealt with. You say, is that, how do people miss it that far? I don't know, but they do, they miss it. The Bible doesn't say what they're saying. Here's how we know it. Because the verdict is going to be given. The consequences. Look at verse 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life. Who's written in the book of life? Those who accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That name is written in the book of life. 
Have you ever done that? Have you ever asked him to come into your life? Has things changed in your life? That's what we're talking about here. So, so I don't know how you, if you believe hell or not. I, I don't know if you think it's a biblical doctrine, but let me just tell you this. L- listen to this. There's no appeals to this judgment. You can't appeal to a higher court. You know why? Because you're at the highest court. And that's what's going to be said. That's what's done. So basically, when it really comes down to it, think about it. Everything I've said, everything that we've looked into this, there are two types of people in this room. Those who have settled out of court, right? And those who will face this horrifying scene out there in the future. What you think about it? I was eight years old when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm not sure I really ever doubted my faith in him. Uh, there's probably times where he could have doubted my faith in him, but... I never doubted my faith in him. And, and, and you know something, even when I would, as growing up as a teenager, and I, I made mistakes, we all make mistakes, and I'm not excusing those mistakes because some of the mistakes I dealt with came with heavy consequences. But you know something, I saw God's hand in every bit of it. I, I can never be satisfied in my sin. How about you? Have you ever seen that? I, I couldn't. I couldn't be satisfied. You know why? Because I was his. Because I settled out of court. Because I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And the Bible says when that happens, that's a game changer. Things change. My whole, everything about me changed. My destiny changed. I'm going to heaven. I know that, but it's only authority of Scripture. Because I've done it the way he said do it. I've received his son. What about you? Have you settled out of court? When you think about what we're talking about today, it really comes down to who, to who you believe. There's the idea of relevant truth. Did you know relevant truth is man-made and it's feelings-based? Did you know that? I mean, you listen to everybody out there and, and basically here's what they'll say. Well, I just feel like God, that, you say is that love and will ever do anything like that. I feel, I feel, I feel. There's no authority in our feelings. They mislead us all the time. But then there's the truth. God is absolute truth in the universe. He has set the standard and basically we failed. Yet God provided, but have we received this truth? The consequences if we don't, an eternity without God. The Bible says a place of torment. The Bible says a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't enjoy bringing a sermon like this, but that's what's in there. It's the complete picture. So here's the game changer. On your outline, the truth, you can settle out of court by becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. The consequences, if you don't, eternal consequences. I want to ask you right now, if you will, to stand to your feet, please, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. These gentlemen are going to continue to play, but here's the gospel. You ready to hear the gospel? This is as simple as it gets. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. That's what Jesus came to offer. Have you received it? That's our invitation. Myself and Gary will be here at the front in just a little while. If you want to know more about this or learn more about how you can give your life to him, we'd love to take God's word and show you how that's possible. But for those of us who are in the room, maybe we've lost sight of what he's done on our behalf. 
We're getting ready to remind you of what he's done on our behalf through taking communion here in just a little bit. But do you know what the Bible says even about communion? We're not to take that lightly either. We need to be right before God before we come to something as sacred as communion. And so in just a little while, we're going to be taking the representation of his body. We're going to be taking the representation of his blood. And we're going to identify, listen, with the fact that we settled out of court. With the fact that his death, burial, and resurrection sealed our eternity. And so we're going to celebrate that. This altar is going to be open. If you're not right or you need to get right, if you need someone to pray with you, take these moments with us. We'll be here at the front. Just do what God's calling you to do in these moments, would you?